0: Don't give up. Most businesses fail in the first year and people get bored and they move on and they just I can't do this. So I would encourage you to be persistent, to be resilient, to be quick to pivot and to learn from your
1: mistakes and just keep pushing forward. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best Amazon stock management tool. How much has going out of stock cost you over the lifetime of your business? And what is it going to cost you this Q4? Eva predicts precisely what stock you need. It learns from your account and it improves constantly. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven-figure sellers. To get a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash EVA. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the e-commerce Leader Call-In Show. This week we are sadly lacking my fellow co-host Jason Miles, but we have Chris Green and Kyle Hamer with me on the other side of the pond, or on the right side of the pond, and I'm on the other side of the pond in England, depending which way you look at it. And we are going to talk today about a topic which is... You know quite something i think about every so often and try to avoid thinking about and that probably means we should examine it which is first year in business goals versus reality sometimes those things are quite divergent which is a polite way of putting it and i think it's really important that we discuss something like this because a lot of people will be having a similar experience in their first year of business possibly if you're listening right now if you're in in jason's group or got some way of contacting us do you put uh, things in your comments if you've got something you want to share on this topic as well. We normally kick off with um, Jason or Chris, so Kyle, I feel like we should start with you to, to ring the changes. What was your first year in business? It's so interesting because you
0: reflect back and you don't know what you don't know. I mean that you go into something new and you're like, I don't know what my expectations should be. Obviously, if you've been in multiple businesses or you're launching your, you know, ninth business, like Chris usually has done, you're right. He's hand in or whatever he is now. He's got some level of expectation that he knows how things are going to roll. But if you're brand new and you're just diving in for the first time, you're just going in blind. You try to get the best information that you can. And so I remember being in that position. And actually, the very first product that I attempted to launch failed miserably on Amazon. I tried to private label tweezers, which is not the best private label product. I thought it was, it's light, it's uh, cheap to ship, it's cheap to buy, uh, but so did everybody else. And there were a lot of, a lot of competitors on there and it, it flopped beautifully. But so my expectation going in was I really just want to figure out the mechanics of it. So I, of course I wanted to make a million dollars in my first year going in a oh, boy who doesn't, but the reality is I, I knew that wasn't going to be realistic, that there was going to be a bit of a learning curve. And so my expectation going into business was I want to learn. I want to get some sort of feedback and input and figure out how far away I am from understanding the business. Cause like you do your research, right? At least for me, I was basically trying to figure out all right, I've done my due diligence to the best of my ability, but there's always gonna be a gap. There's always gonna be a gap between what you think and what reality is. And I was trying to figure out what that was for me. And there definitely was one. And it, it took a good it took a year I, more.
1: And more. To really resolve that, some harsh reality oh, yeah. checks, and nevertheless, you went in expecting to learn rather than become a millionaire, which is, uh, yeah, probably yeah, a key learning right there. Chris, tell us about your first year in business. I guess that's quite a while ago. You, you as Carl uh,
2: said, you started multi, multiple businesses. So, what was I, I the very first one? one? I ran a yard sale when I was in uh, kindergarten. I definitely didn't make million dollars doing that, and I have done a lot of things, and I've done a lot of things. For fun, they're so like, oh, we should try this and this should be fun. And hey, it might make some money or it probably will make some money, but like never it will make this much money. And that's why we're going to do it. So I didn't really evaluate opportunities in terms of like realistic like revenue size and scope and like opportunity size in that sense. And I say that as someone who just fell into things. And if you are expecting to make a million dollars, then you need to have the right expectations going in so that you're doing something that has the potential to make million dollars because not everything is going to make a million dollars not every idea is a million dollar idea but there are a lot of ideas that are 400,000 dollar ideas and it's like I'm, I'm glad you said the million dollar thing because i feel that is put into a lot of marketing messages so as someone uh, who is a marketer and who has tried a bunch of different models and worked with a lot of newbies are trying to get in and trying to figure out what they're good at and trying to make a million dollars there's this big disconnect because the marketing we got to throw down that million dollars that two cc that that number to get people's attention because no one's going to get too excited to be like dude let me show you how you can make seventy-two thousand dollars a year uh selling wholesale on amazon like that's very realistic and practical and it's probably a a lot more money in terms of profit than. And a lot of people are going to make or are expecting to make, and they should be excited about that. But that marketing message doesn't hit. No one gets too excited with that. So we go all the way to the million. And then people don't make a million. Then they say, oh, it's a scam, or, or you didn't tell me it's going to be this hard, or it's not realistic. It's like, no, it's there is a disconnect. And what they also don't tell you is it might take you five years to get that million-dollar mark. Uh, so I have those expectations going in. And, Kyle, another thing that you said, I mean, many of my first businesses that I, I kind of Around started with, uh, I had no way to differentiate, right? So, when you're doing tweezers, you're like, like, Can I differentiate this product? Do I have specific or specialized knowledge that I'm able to add to this product or to the marketing message behind this product that gives me some kind of you know, sustained competitive advantage? So, people need to buy mine instead of someone else's. And one thing that I did, the statute of limitations, I'm pretty sure is passed on this, uh, is I was selling bootleg Japanese. Transformers uh, transformer like at scale. I had like multiple I had these dual deck these, this is like VHS for all these you know people who don't know VHS is uh, and I was I was killing it. I was but I did it because it was fun because like, I'm a kid of the 80s and like I watched Transformers growing up. I was my mind was blown when the internet came out that I found out there were additional Transformers cartoons that went on in other countries that I didn't know about. And and, and there was no way they weren't produced commercially. Uh, so I was selling bootlegs so what do y'all think people did when they saw someone selling bootleg videos for a lot of money they bought for me and they started selling them too so the market got depleted very easily or very quickly because there was no differentiation point like i didn't get into it because i saw an ad about make a million dollars i got into it because i like something it was interested. so that market disappeared i got into something else got into ebay got into amazon and i tell you the first big year we did ebay I think we did like eight hundred thousand in sales, and I read the numbers at the end. I was like, "That can't be right." There's, there's no way we funneled that much on eBay, like part time out of our garage while still working full time. All this stuff because it was close to that that million kind of thing. And yeah, things if you don't have a plan going in, then you can end up like me and trying to do a bunch of different things which can sometimes sound sound fun, but if you're doing it specifically because you need to make X amount of dollars to pay your bills, then you need to have a little bit more of a plan going in. And again, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And that puts people in a little precarious spot where they think they know. And they saw an ad that says, if I do this, I'm going to make this much money. But there is, and I'm writing about it, there's that learning curve. There's that Dunning-Kruger effect. There's that, I want to make a million dollars, but I've never even made $1,000 on the internet. I was like, then you need to make a $1,000 first. You need to make $100 first. Because everybody that got $2 million in sales sold their first dollar in their first 100 in their first 1000 Uh So have those right expectations. Otherwise, you're going to get disappointed, and it's going to move, and you're jumping from the same thing. And you're never going to be good at anything specific. And I can go on. I can go on. But Mike, I want to hear what you guys think, too, man. Yeah, yeah
1: you're That's definitely right. a man who's... This topic, by the way, came out of a quite a passionate discussion that we're, we're having recently. There seemed to be theme emerging of... Helping people navigate the internal and external realities of business as opposed to the shiny looking version. And uh, by the way, Dunning Kruger effect, just tell me briefly what that is. I've heard of it, but I can't remember.
2: Dunning Kruger effect, the briefest version I can give it give you, and you can, you can Google it, they can find the image. But when you first learn about something, you get really excited because you're, you're like, hey, this is cool, and, and, and I'm interested in this. It. it kind of feels simple. So you get this inflated sense of like your ability to, to un- actually understand this topic. You don't actually understand it because you haven't been exposed to it. Now, that graph is then going to go down over time as you learn more and you learn how much you don't know. You actually learn that, oh, my gosh, I'm actually an idiot when it comes to this topic. And over enough time, that curve starts to go back back. up as you actually achieve true mastery in something. But even at that point, by the time you actually have a level of mastery, you now know how much you still don't know because you have the the full level. So it's a catch-22 where the people who are actually experts start to doubt themselves and, and say, hey, there's probably someone who knows more than me. And They're the ones who doubt themselves. And the people who actually have no concept of how much they don't know are the ones who think they're an expert. And you see that, at least I've seen that in the internet marketing space, where people get really excited about Merch by Amazon and they're the ones out there putting out not great information, but they think they know, but they don't know what they don't know. And since they don't know what they don't know, you can't talk them out of it. So they're so convinced that they're smart. and It messes with people's heads. But it's it's fascinating, but I've seen it so many times especially as people get into the world of, of e-commerce and amazon uh, they don't if you realize it's out there then you can plot it in your own life and be like you know what when you feel like an expert you may not actually be an expert <laughs>
1: I really like that. And the Dunning-Kruger effect, that explains a lot of why people who are fairly early in their business journey, and that included me when I started a podcast, I've been selling on Amazon for about a year, and I'm about to say about the fact that it wasn't all fantastic. But yeah, I think you have that enthusiasm, and you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how ugly it can get and what how tough it can get, and therefore you have that enthusiasm about it that... It's you can gradually rework your way to that once you find out what the really good things are. But that's very interesting. I mean, my first year in business, I guess uh, the, the first thing is rather like Jason's shared that he took about 10 years to get to the point where he actually started off his own Internet based business. It took me about 15 years of <laughs> part time learning and the reality was that I was pitched into it, and I was reflecting on this before we we talked, and I thought, I've got to come up with some positive spin on this. But the truth is, it's not so much spin as a really long-term... Coming together of things where I think I'm, I'm still on the path to ending up in the right sort of business model. And it's getting there and it's just come together over, I would say, 15 years of learning this and then doing that. And then it ends up coming together. My first year in business on Amazon, I think I made multiple mistakes. The first one with which was believing the hype of the million pound pitch or whatever million dollars, which isn't to say that it isn't a powerful vehicle, by the way. But I know lots of people, all the sellers I work with in Mastermind are, are doing millions. And otherwise, they're not allowed in. So it's a thing, if for sure. But What am I trying to say? I just think that I was pitched into it and that's a different way of of doing it than stumbling into it, as you did, Chris. And to your point, I think it's interesting that relationship between stumbling into things, being pitched into things, or very mindfully setting a goal and then looking for a vehicle that will achieve that goal. So I, I guess I wasn't stumbling around so much as pitched in and swallowed the drank the Kool-Aid. And I think looking back that I was taught by people who had experienced the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is they were very really good at selling on Amazon in the early days when there wasn't much competition with private label products that were sourced from the US and were supplements. They had no clue how to import from China. There was nothing in their uh, training about that, which is made most of the world's stuff is still made and even more then. So I guess that there was a sort of mix of factors when I look at it as to why it it didn't really produce the result that I was looking for. The main thing I would say, the main learning from that is I'm still glad I got in there and did it. Because for years I've been trying to vaguely start, it feels like a sort of confessional time, vaguely trying to start a business in my area of passion and expertise in music, coaching and training. I have a suspicion I'm going to end up back there. But what I hadn't done is really got it working and being business-like instruction and, and this thing gave me a structure and a, a focus and a purpose that didn't work as advertised but got me into motion and I think that motion was actually the most important result to be honest of the first year in business so there you go that's my my sort of messy take on my first year as the least structured I've been about anything there you go So obviously still processing it thoughts
0: reactions Kyle the Dunn-Kruger effect for me is essentially like I know every single key on the piano. Like I could point it out and tell you what key that is. That doesn't mean that I can play Mozart. And I think when we go into business in our first year, we want to be playing Mozart at a high mastery level. And all we know is where the keys are at. And so when I think about the process, it really does come down. What are your realistic goals in your first year? In my opinion, like if I was going to give you advice, if you're just launching anything new, Here's a couple of things. Um, your first goal is really to get product market fit. That is your number one goal in the first year to to really understand whether or not your product has a market and whether or not that market wants your product, like. You have to determine that. And the sooner you determine that, the better your shot's going to be. And and even the product that failed with the tweezers for private label for me, there was a really positive outcome because out of that failure, I really committed to trying to understand why it failed. And through that, I was able to articulate out, write out some things, think through some stuff so that when the next opportunity arose on Amazon, I took it. But I took it with a much different perspective and with the learnings that I took from that initial failure. And that product and that whole brand was very successful. To adopt this sort of attitude of, yeah, I want to hit it and I want to go, but I also want to learn, Regardless of you have wins or you have fails. Because at the beginning, uh, let me say this, I still make mistakes on Amazon even today. Like I'm constantly making mistakes and testing things and failing at things and letting things blow up. And that's the only way you really truly learn, in my opinion, is you have to be doing it and taking action to Michael's point. So yeah, have a bias towards action. Definitely set realistic expectations. And then I also think that you need to not sacrifice long-term thinking for short-term thinking. And I feel like that definitely can occur uh, and does occur if you're not really focused on having a right mental mindset around it. You're always trying to take the shortcut when that just leads you to uh, disaster, usually, uh, to have some long-term thinking in your approach and slow and steady, you know, kind of wins the race.
1: Yeah, I like that. I, by the way, the Mozart analogy is interesting because I've taught people the piano for years and my wife has as well. And we both, I guess, have a certain talent for it or we wouldn't be doing it, we wouldn't have done it, if, as in my case in the past, my wife currently. And uh, it, it is remarkably slow and painful progress over the the period of weeks and months. But over the period of decades, it's amazing what you can do with some practice. I like your analogy. Chris, What what are your thoughts in response to all this stuff?
2: Yeah. I like the piano analogy. It, it's huh. perfect. You think about somebody who's like, I can teach you how to do Amazon. I can show you where all the keys are. I can show you the order that you need to press them in. If you want to make this music, That's that information is out there, both free and paid, and with coaching, and with teaching, and with hands-on, and with one-on-one, and with group, whatever you want. But the only way you're going to learn that is to actually sit down, and do it, and practice, and mess up, and, and try again, and put it in time. And and if you have the mindset, the Dunning-Kruger mindset of, I just need to know which keys to press in which order. Like, if you tell me that, I can, like, totally play, right? Like, that's all you need. That's all the piano is, right? It's pressing the keys in order. So tell me which order to press the keys in, and I'm going to play Mozart. Like, And they actually believe it, right? And it it makes a little sense when you say it that way, but then when you actually play it out, you're like, "Oh, oh, this, oh, oh, right. There is a lot more. Ooh. I didn't know about that. Oh, if I do my hands like this, it's going to be, easy. and you learn and it takes time. And then you become an actual expert. And then Michael, I'm guessing you're going to say, I've been teaching piano for a long time. There's still so much. I don't know. And there's still things that I can't do. And there's still things that I wish I had more time to practice. And there's it even though you actually have a level of expertise i like your example of tweezers actually that's where i was making some noise and getting some things out uh, because i actually got for valentine's day yesterday a brand new tweezer set because it's one of these things that in my house my tweezers always disappear and i want tweezers and i want good tweezers i want tweezers with the light on it and laser and diamond tip and honestly i would buy the most expensive tweezers that were available and I'm, I'm that guy Right? And that's a market that you can sell, sell tweezers to instead of being like a commodity a Me Too type seller. And I pulled out an example. These are like these little fidget cubes that are like. This one is plastic and it's cheap and I hate it. And you can get like 10 of these for $2. And like, I don't know how I, I ended up with it. This one costs like 40 bucks and it's metal and it's solid. And like it's cold right now because it's like solid metal. And I will pay more for this. And there is a market for people who will pay more. So if you really like tweezers and you can market them You can position yourself. uh, You you can make it pretty much any market. And the other part of that is if you really wish not everybody does, but some people do. And I think there's this massive opportunity that people have been missing for years of figuring out a way to build a business business model around something that they actually like and they actually enjoy. Like, how did I get into selling Transformer cartoons? Because I actually liked it. I didn't have any, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I, I didn't build it into a business. I didn't set up any type of protections against competition. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing it because it was fun and just happened to make money. And that's how I got into eBay. And that's how I got into Amazon and FBA and software and publishing and comp, like all of these things I just did because they were fun. Now, after all this years of experience, I'm like, okay, I need to find something I like to do that I'm passionate about. Most people that brings them a lot of value that has the potential to make a lot of money. And yes, that's the thing that I want to spend my time on. And I think people miss that opportunity because they think that they can't make money doing something that they actually enjoy. They think, no, I need to find a business model that, yeah, you know, it makes money, money. I don't necessarily like it, but I'll do it kind of thing. There's people who love their Amazon business. They love the sourcing aspect. They love the, the selling. They love the look. We got an FBA system here. We like. I can't wait to try and find some new way to make this more efficient and move my tables around and maybe switch this and find a new cheaper source of labels so I can make... Some people love them. Some people hate them. If you can find something that you love, I guarantee there's a way to build a business around it. Now, you might not be able to spend to make a million dollars doing something that you like, but you might be able to make $240,000 doing something that you like, and that's going to be a heck of a lot more fun than making a million dollars doing something that you hate. And that's where it back to <laughs> six figures. I say, I'm just writing about this in my book right now. $100,000 is six figures. And that gets a lot of people excited. In a lot of places in the world, you can live like a king for hundred grand. There's lots of people who want to make more. Money. Six figures is still $999,999. That's a lot of money. Not Every idea is a million-dollar idea. But there's so many six-figure ideas out there mm-hmm. that I assure you can be built around anything. Like piano? You want to make six figures, teach piano, and be happy every day? Oh, yeah. Jason's not here. Very happy every day? (laughs) It's very possible. But again, it's that if you don't have enough experience in it, it will take some time to change your mindset where you have to see it. You have to be like, oh, wait a minute. I see that this is possible, especially if you're coming from a background of work versus I get paid to work, I don't get paid to play. Bro, you can get paid to sit up. I guarantee it. Man, I'd rather pay. I'd rather get paid pay to play all day. Which is which is I honestly I like doing shows like this. I like writing books. I like going live on Facebook. Yeah, you can you can like things that provide value to other people, and then if you have a plan, which is what we're trying to like, like give you guys here, if you have a plan, you can turn it into a business. A million bucks, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but I everything out there, I feel can make six figures.
0: Chris, Plus, if I would have known you were a tweezer buff. I could have sent you thousands of units that have been sitting in my garage forever, but unfortunately now they're sitting at the goodwill.
2: I don't need thousands of units. I need the best. <laughs> well, this,
0: this definitely was not it. This was thousands of units of not the best. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, that, that's not best. Yeah, I'm not well, that. that's, that's what I'm that diamond tip LED. I'm that guy. Wow. And that yeah, you can differentiate. You that you can market. For sure. That, For some sure. people get excited about not everybody some people yeah. get so excited about tweezers and they'll be like, and there, I say this because there are customers like me out there who are reporting, yeah. just give me the most expensive yeah, because it's going to be the best, right? It's yeah. a simple qualifier. The most expensive iPhone, I don't want to worry about features. And the most expensive tweezers, the most expensive little fidget cubes, there's customers out there and you can make, and this was the example, right? Say this was, was $100 and this was $1, do the math. How many more units do you have to sell compared to this? Mm-hmm. And make yeah. the same amount of revenue. Like it's so much yeah. easier. Yeah. And, like, and also people, that much. Dude, people, pay for it. people
1: don't think about either profit. If you sell a hundred widgets at $5 each, you probably lost $2 per unit. Where you sell one widget for $40, you've made, I don't know, whatever, 20 bucks. So I, I would say there's an interesting, I've got to put this weirdly wrong relationship with numbers here, isn't there? Because everyone's looking for one product that's mediocre timed a thousand units, <laughs> or 10,000 units of, of terrible tweezers that will make a million dollars but to your point chris and i would say yeah there's a lot of six figure products in the world or, or business concepts there are so many five figures a year products out there and if you have a suite of products uh, a catalog as jason does for example or Kyle, most people do with an established business that i work with if you have a suite of 100 products that that make you five figures a year suddenly you've got a million dollar business but spread into lots of bits and that strikes me that's very common whereas most people are trained or taught to think one product million dollars done. And so I suppose there's that relationship with reality and the numbers feels out of whack. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, yeah, I think that is the that's the common dream, like, or that's the 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 shared narrative. It's like I find that million dollar product what to your point, Michael, I think that's spot on. I would rather have a hundred products that made me a thousand bucks a month or two thousand bucks a month instead of one product that made me a hundred thousand dollars a month or a million dollars because What you're doing is if you have only one product that is the source of your revenue, all of your your risk is now aggregated to that one product. If you have a thousand or a hundred products and a couple of them have supply chain issues or have an issue on Amazon and Amazon's like, hey, we're going to shut your listing down for fun, for funsies. And all your revenue gets cratered because you only have that one product. If you have a hundred products. And that happens to two or three of them. Guess what? You've diversified your risk and you're going to sleep a lot better having a much bigger product mix. And you're also going to, the other thing that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about is if you have a really high selling product and say you're doing a hundred thousand or a million dollars a month with one product, people are going to come after you with that one product. That's a very. It's gonna be a. That's a high profile, and people are either gonna try and knock you off, or they're gonna use black hat tactics, you know, to try and uh, knock you off or whatever. And so, if you have a bunch of, if you have a hundred products that are just doing a thousand, two thousand, three thousand a month, you're gonna fly under the radar, and you're gonna be better off for it. So that that's my my primary thoughts on that one for sure. Yeah, yeah I
2: completely agree. If you're selling a commodity product and you're high profile. Yeah, people are going to come at you. What can you do to differentiate? We already started talking about differentiation. If you can't differentiate and give people a reason to buy your product than someone else's, then it's going to be a price battle. And that makes me think that- This is exactly what's happening. People are getting into this business because they want to sell something. They want to make money. And they make money by selling something. And they're forgetting the biggest part. I'll put this in my book as well. 90% of it is marketing. 90% of it is getting people to know about your product. 90% of it is getting people to care about your product. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to be a commodity seller. They do a little research. They have an opportunity in the tweezer market. So they import from China and they're like, why aren't they selling? Why am I competing on price? Why are these people able to sell less than me? It's like you have given your buyers zero reason to buy your product and zero reason to buy it from you. I'm about to release a book for $250. It's a book and they're going to buy it because I market it people want to buy it. If you want to sell a book against my book, you can try, but they're going to buy my book. They're not going to buy someone no, else's book. Because I put the marketing in, and that's the Dunning-Kruger thing. Yeah, That makes sense. Sell stuff. Okay. But there's more to it. No, nah, there's not. There's marketing. There's getting people to care. There's establishing a reputation. It's going to take multi- a long time. Nah, man. I'm just going to send this stuff in. Look, everybody buys it and compete on price. If you compete on price, you're going to lose. You might win a little bit, but you're going to freaking earn it. You are going to work so hard if the only thing you can compete on is price. And and that's why I would rather sell $100 fidget cube instead of $1 fidget cubes. Those customers are going to be better. Their their margins are going to be better. You're going to do less work. And you can spend your time helping customers and bring value to them instead of hustling around and seeing, like, how can I drop my price another 10 cents so I can beat this other competitor? Uh, They're just just different business models. And after doing this for so long, I wanted a business model fun, enjoy it, do things that I like that also bring value to other people with products on the back end that can make me money. that's what i do that's what i teach that's what my book's about not that this is about teaching my book but yeah there's so much about this topic that just hits home that's like this so many things are the problems that i've seen by working with people in the past 15 20 years uh, this is where they get hung up. So,
1: i'm here for you excellent the next one is begging for a call to action so we better give it so how do people get hold of you chris if they want to talk through this stuff with you and get a bit of
2: sanity? It, it didn't get Google me. It's Chris com. It's Facebook.com slash Chris. I, I am easy to find on the internet. Yeah, it's oh, um, this is true. Um, it's all about jokes
1: and things. Yeah, follow the there show, you. I was going to say. Yeah, we better wrap it up there, guys, because it's supposed to be hot takes. There's always just so much more we can talk about with this stuff. At some point, we're going to have to do a deep dive, Joe Rogan-style five-hour podcast, I think. But, but for the moment, we're still going to stick with the, the format. So, Kyle, if uh, people want to get some help from you and Jason in their first year in business, do you even deal with people in their first year business? Is, is that something you can help with? Um,
0: in the past, we really focused on people that are looking to scale their business. However, as our our business has grown, we've recognized that there is definitely a need for software and training and services for people that want to get started in e-commerce. And we've expanded into that because we want to be able to, to have insight and and tools available. And yeah, with our new brand that we rolled out with OmniRocket, we do have a path forward for people that are interested in getting started. And one of the easiest ways to get started selling is actually as a reseller. And just for a point of clarification, on Amazon reseller with somebody who's doing sort of retail arbitrage. So they're going to the store and they're scanning items and they're finding products that they can now sell on Amazon or doing an online version of it to where they can find it in a different store, and buy it and put it into Amazon. And then also wholesale, like Chris mentioned uh, briefly where you you buy something wholesale from a different brand and you sell it. Those are great ways to get started. And so we're providing new sort of insights and services and software tools and trainings uh, to help people do that.
1: And so you can learn more about that at OmniRocket. .com. Excellent. Omnirocket.com it is. And uh, yeah, if people want to, I mean, do I work with people in the early stages? I do. I, I generally work with people with a bit of revenue. I think I'm probably best at that. So if people got revenue, I specialise in private label, but I had a Shopify uh, store in the UK a while ago, reach out to me and I said, you're not a Shopify guy, right? Jason does that stuff. And he said, no, I still want to work with you. And we seem to be getting good insights as, on the strategy level. So I guess that's the muddiest positioning in the world. <laughs> if you do right. private label or, or wholesale type products or physical products and get in touch, I guess, is what I would say. Great. First year in business, goals versus reality. Let's just give people like a 15, 15 second 20 takeaway. What should somebody do? First year in business, goals versus reality. What's a realistic starting point versus what all the things to avoid? Chris, go. Give us this, your shortest sound bite. One,
2: two, three, four, five and six figures before you set your sights on seven figures. Um, you have to go through them anyway. So don't disappoint yourself and shoot. We say shoot for the moon or there's something about that. But yeah, set your expectations and be aware, Google it and have an understanding of this, I an mean, improver effect so that you don't get too far ahead of yourself and realize it's going to take some time and, and think about the piano example. I think it's a perfect one. We can show you where the keys are. We can tell you what order to press them in. I'm going to tell you that in five seconds But until you put in the work and practice it where you actually understand it and are able to do it and yeah, he's going to run around thinking you know how to play Mozart when the truth is you don't and you don't know you're wrong. So you're in the danger. Yeah. And so I can absolutely relate
1: to that in a very literal sense. Kyle, that, that was beautifully done. 15 second soundbite. 15 second away.
0: soundbite. Don't give up. Most businesses fail in the first year and people get bored and they move on and they just like, I can't do this. So I would encourage you to be persistent, to be resilient to be quick to pivot and to learn from your mistakes and, just keep pushing forward because it
1: all will build towards math. You know what? I'm not going to try and top those wonderful pronouncements. So I'm going to wrap the show here and a wuss out on that one. Say thank you very much, first of all, for everyone from OmniRocket who's listening in the Facebook group. Thank you very much. If you're listening in the call-in show, we're now whizzing up the charts there. So if you want to find us, there, call-in is the app of the same name on iPhones only at the moment. Do come and find us there and follow us. And it could become interactive one day. We're we're not going for that yet, but that is the kind of concept of it. So it's a bit of a clubhouse. kind of, place come and check it out it's a very cool app and of course you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, any other podcast app near you we're still in spotify we haven't left just because joe grogan's um, joined so panic not come and find us come subscribe and give us a love or, or a love or whatever you can do on spotify and thank you very much for listening to the e-commerce leader call-in show that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael vesey in london england and jason miles in seattle washington If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.TheEcommerceLeader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.